recorded live at the Practice of Peace and Nonviolence in Family, School, and the Workplace, a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh and the monks and nuns of Plum Village, Maple Forest Monastery, and Deer Park Monastery, held August 13th through 18th, 2001, in Amherst, Massachusetts. Thursday Dharma Talk with Thich Nhat Hanh. Good morning, my dear friends. Today is uh, the, six, the 16th of... And then uh, he smiled to his students. And then he went to the, to the blackboard and uh, wiped uh, the things uh, on it, ready to begin his, um, his course. And he did it mindfully, the way they used to do. He has learned mindfully breathing in, out, and wife uh, enjoy every uh, every uh, gesture. The boys ask him, "Are you okay, Daddy?" Uh, <laughs> uh, they ask him in French. They said, "Tu es malade." Papa, <laughs> they call him Papa because they love him. Dear Malat, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I just practice mindful breathing, mindful wiping out. Uh, and he told them about his practice in Plum Village. And he said that in Plum Village, every 15 minutes, the clock uh, play music and everyone stop and breathing in, calming, breathing out, smiling. And there is this right away. And every time the, the bell sounds, everyone pauses and enjoys breathing and uh, smiling. And every time the telephone rings, uh, people do the same. And people walk mindfully, eat mindfully, so, so peaceful and enjoy so much. I have become a much happier person, and I want you to do like that. So why don't we... Uh, put into practice some of the things I have learned in Plum Ridge. We don't have a bell now, but every five or uh, fifteen minutes, uh, I want a boy to, uh, to do like this, uh, to replace the sound of the bell. 
then everyone hearing that sound of the clapping hands pause and practice breathing in, I calm myself, breathing out, I smile, and I look at, at uh, uh, other, other kids in the, in the class. And everyone uh, accepted to play that game of mindfulness. And the situation evolved in such a way that the class became a very happy place. And, and, the, and, and the boys make a lot of progress in the class. And the whole school learn about the progress. And some of the teachers adapt the techniques of uh, both mindful breathing every uh, quarter of an hour. You know, Henry used to be a very angry person. He's a good-hearted, but he can get angry very quickly. When he noticed that a boy who is too so stupid after so much explanation and yet he still doesn't understand, he, he gets angry and he was able to, to throw the piece of chalk uh, directly to that boy. And every time he corrected the, um, the exercise at home and if he saw, if he saw uh, the student uh, not understand that and made uh, a lot of mistakes. He said, he wrote down, you are stupid. But after the practice, he changed a lot. One day, instead of uh, writing down, you are stupid, he practiced breathing in and out, and he wrote down, wrote down this, you have not understood. This is my fault. This is my fault. I have not made uh, more effort to help you. So the change is like that. He has changed so much. In his, he has helped his, uh, his uh, class and school so much that, uh, uh, um, that uh, on the year of his retirement, uh, the administration of school asked him to stay on for another three years. And uh, he has become one of, the, of our lay Dharma teachers in Canada. His name is Henry, Henry Kikung, uh, professor of mathematics. And uh, with the practice of mindfulness, he has changed his life and changed the life of his, uh, of his class. And I think a teacher can make a difference a great difference in the life of uh, her or his uh, students with the practice of mindfulness. Thank you very much for listening, teachers and uh, students. And today I hope that you have a chance to to have uh, sessions of Dharma discussions to go more deeply on this matter. Deep listening, making the class into an enchanted place for everyone. Our future, the future of our society depends on you, teachers and students. You are all my friends. You are all my uh, continuations. When you hear the bell, please uh, stand up and bow to the Sangha. We have to talk about anger. Uh, as a psychosoma uh, uh, reality.
because our body gets angry, not only our mind. Anger has uh, the roots in the body as well as in the consciousness. Our person is made of five elements, called five scandals. And the first element is called rupa, means form our physical body. The second element is called feelings. And the third element is called perceptions. The fourth element, uh, mental formations. And the fifth element, consciousness, consciousness, the, the deeper level of consciousness. Formation is a technical uh, term. It means uh, mm, phenomena. Uh, a flower is a formation because there are conditions to come together in order for the flower to manifest, and therefore the flower is a formation. The, mm, the book the book is a formation because uh, there are elements that come together in order for the book to be produced. The book is a formation. Our anger is a formation. There are elements that come together in order to produce anger. So in Buddhism we speak of 51 mental formations, and anger is just one of the 51. And they belong to the third category of, uh, or the fourth category of the five skandhas, mental formations. But feelings is one category of mental formations, and perceptions also. We can uh, describe uh, our anger as a feeling as uh, an emotion, a mental formation that uh, can be uh, the root uh, of, uh, of, of which can be retraced uh, to the body and to the perceptions. Very often our anger is rooted from our perceptions, and especially our wrong perceptions. And also our anger might be rooted uh, in our body, physical body. So when the anger manifests, we have to look deeply into the anger in order to see from which uh, foundation it has manifested. It can be rooted in the body. It can be rooted in the perception we have. Anger is there in every cell of our body. If you look for your consciousness, uh, it is uh, easy to look for our consciousness in every cell of our body. Uh, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, every cell of our body contains everything. It contains hell. It contains the kingdom of God. It contains uh, all our ancestors spiritual and uh, blood ancestors. We have uh, animal ancestors, and that can be touched in every cell. 
we have mineral ancestors then that can be touched in our in ourselves. We have uh, vegetable ancestors. We have spiritual ancestors. They are also in every cell. If you are of uh, a Christian background, Jesus Christ is in every cell of your body. The kingdom of God is also in every cell of your body available. And also hell is available in every cell of your body. You can touch every mental formation in every cell of your body. All generations of ancestors are fully present in every cell of our body. Genetically speaking, spiritually speaking, all of them are there, available to you in the present moment. And if you know uh, how to touch them, they will manifest to you, whether it is hell or it is the kingdom of God. It is possible to touch uh, uh, them in the here and the now. It is like uh, a television set with uh, many thousands of channels. Up to you to choose the channel, the channel of compassion, of joy, of um, um, inclusiveness, or the channel of discrimination, of hatred, of despair. Every channel is available in uh, in in each cell of our body. When we eat a piece of chicken with mindfulness, we can see things very deeply. We can swallow anger into our body and into our consciousness. Imagine a chicken raised in a modern chicken farm. The chicken has to stand in one place for all her life not capable of going anywhere, not like a farm chicken. And they force them to eat, to eat, in order to get fat, in order to lay as many eggs as they could. And they create artificial days and nights, which are much shorter than the natural days and nights, so that uh, uh, the chicken can, can be full uh, in order to lay more eggs than uh, than usual, and uh, there is a lot of frustration and anger and despair in the chicken. Imagine you you're standing like that for all your life. You cannot run like other chickens in the farm. And then the chicken get mad. All these toxins as despair, madness, anger, violence in the chicken are growing every minute in their cells. There is an opportunity that chicken will uh, attack the chicken nearby with its beak. And that is why the farmers have uh, cut all the beaks in order to prevent chicken from attacking the, the neighbor. And when you eat a piece of chicken like that, you eat all the anger, the frustration, and despair. And that is why 
eating can be very violent. From now on, you may like to eat only farm chicken. <laughs> or not eating chicken at all, it's okay. And the cows, many cows have become mad. Why? Because you raise them in such a way that make them very angry, very violent, very frustrated. Cows used to be vegetarian, and we forced them to eat uh, um, non-vegetarian elements. We use hormone and all all the things in order to speed up uh, the process of uh, growth. And the first day, I only said that uh, drinking and eating can be very violent, and we bring violence and anger into us. That's why, in order to deal with violence, with anger, we have to to look very deeply. Because the cause of violence and anger is not only in our perceptions, but in our way of living our daily life, our way of eating, drinking, consuming television, consuming newspaper, and consuming conversation. Because conversation can be highly toxic. Remember that day, you just listened to him or to her for one hour, and after that you feel, felt paralyzed. This so much despair, there's so much de- um, anger in, in her talk. And while listening for an hour like that, toxins and poisons penetrate into your body and to your consciousness. Mindfulness helps you to protect yourself. You have to be very careful about consumption. And the fifth mindfulness training is all about consumption. The way out is mindful consumption. In the last three days, we have uh, spoken about uh, the fourth mindfulness training, which is a very deep practice, the practice of deep listening, the practice of loving speech. That is the object of fourth mindfulness training in order to reopen communication. Without the fourth training, we cannot do it. And for the fifth training, mindful consumption is the foundation of our uh, practice in order to prevent violence to penetrate and to grow in our body and in our consciousness. There is a report on, uh, on meat eating I would like to share to you. All of agricultural land in the U.S., 87% is used to raise animals for food. 87% of the agricultural land in the U.S. is used to raise animals for food. That is 45% of the total land mass in the U.S.A. That is a consuming land. 
we have to clear the forest, we have to destroy the wood in order to have enough uh, uh, fuel uh, to grow food for our for our cattle. Water. More than half of all the water consumed in the U.S. for all purposes is to is used to raise animals for food. It takes 2,500 gallons of water to produce a pound of meat, but only 25 gallons to produce a pound of wheat. 25 gallons versus 2,500 gallons. One gallon, one pound of wheat needs only 25 gallons of water. One pound of meat needs 2,500 gallons of water. A totally vegetarian diet requires 300 gallons of water per day. 300 gallons of water, while a meat-eating diet requires more than 4,000 gallons of water every day. Pollution. Raising animals for food causes more water pollution in the U.S. than any other industry because animals raised for food products produce 130 times the excrement of the entire human population. 87,000 pounds per second. Much of the waste from factory farms and slaughterhouses flows into the streams and rivers and contaminating water sources. Deforestation. Each vegetarian, each vegetarian saves one acre of trees every year. More than 260 million acres of U.S. forests have been cleared to grow crops for, to feed animals raised for meat. 260 million acres of U.S. forests. And another acre of trees disappear every eight seconds for that purpose. The tropical rainforests are also being destroyed to create grazing land for cattle. 55 square feet of rainforest may be raised to produce just one quarter pound burger. Resources. In the USA, animals raised for food are fed more than 80% of the corn we grow and 95% of the oak. The world cattle alone consume a quantity of food equal to the caloric needs of 8.7 billion people more than the entire human population on Earth. And that is why it's very important that we reduce the eating of meat and also the drinking of alcohol. Because... Uh, the, the drinking of alcohol uh, prevent uh, hungry people from using uh, the crop we grow. Most of the crop we grow is for making meat and alcohol. And 40,000 children in the world, 40,000 children in the world every day, die every day because of the lack of food and not nutrition. So eating meat like that 
drinking alcohol like that is like eating the flesh of our children. And in a discourse uh, concerning um, nutrients, food, the Buddha 2,600 years ago already uh, spoke about this. There is a discourse called the sun's flesh. It's a very tragic kind of, uh, dramatic kind of teaching. He said, it's a young couple. In the time of Buddha, there were already both people and land people who want to escape the, the country in order to go to another country. They brought along their little boy and a quantity of food and drink. But halfway through the desert, they run out of food and they knew that they are going to die. So after having thought carefully, the couple decided to kill the little boy in order to, to eat hoping that they will uh, get out of the desert. If we, if, we, if we don't kill him, our little boy, and then three of us will die. But if we kill him, at least two of us can survive, and then you have a chance to produce another son or another daughter later on. So they kill the little boy. Remember, the story was, uh, being, was told by the Buddha. And uh, they ate one piece of that flesh, and they kept the rest on the shoulder to dry. And every day they eat a piece of, uh, of that, that meat. And every time after having eaten a piece of meat like that, they beat their chest, they pulled their, their, their hair and said, Where are you, my beloved child? My beloved little boy? They cry. And yet they continue to eat. And finally, by day far, they, they were able to uh, cross the desert. The Buddha turned to his uh, monks and said, my dear friends, do you think that the couple enjoy eating the flesh of their son? No, dear teacher, it's impossible to enjoy eating the, the flesh of our own son or daughter. The Buddha said, when we eat, we must be very careful, otherwise we will be eating the flesh of our son and daughter. Eating in such a way that makes compassion still possible in our heart and in our body. Consuming in such a way that will not destroy ourselves and destroy our children. Because when we bring toxins into our body and our consciousness, we destroy our body and consciousness. And uh, all our children are in us. All our teachers are in us fully present. Our children are already there. They have not manifested, but they are already there. When you look at a lemon tree with the lemon blossom, you don't see any lemon yet. But the lemons are there in the blossoms. Even if you have not, if you are still young, 
You have not born any children, but all the children and grandchildren are already in you. So if you eat not mindfully, you destroy your, your children and your grandchildren within yourself. You destroy your ancestors, your parents within yourself. Because uh, both uh, uh, ancestors and, and uh, children and grandchildren are fully present within every cell of our body. Teaching is very deep. When you eat a piece of meat like that, raised in such a way that destroys the environment, that um, that uh, prevent our children from having from having a future, so we are eating the meat, the flesh of our ancestors. You are eating the flesh of our children. The Buddha used a very tragic, uh, dramatic image in order to wake us wake us up. This report on uh, deforestation, resources, energy, pollution, water, and land is a form of uh, practice of looking deeply and to reveal to us the truth. So why we eat or we drink with mindfulness, we can perceive uh, the truth and we know what to do and what not to do in order to pre- preserve the compassion in us. Without compassion, we suffer deeply. One can be happy only with uh, compassion still alive in us. Otherwise, one will be completely cut off from the world. Compassion is the kind of energy that can relate, uh, that, that can help us relate to other human beings and living beings. Without compassion, you are utterly lonely. And that is why the practice is the practice of uh, nourishing the compassion in us. And compassion is possible only with understanding. And the understanding is the fruit of looking deeply. And in this case, looking deeply into the food we eat every day. Anger is an epidemic. Our society seems to grow angrier and angrier every day. And there must be a kind of virus that is at the foundation of that uh, epidemic. And what is that? It is violence. And countering that violence, we should have a kind of medicine to destroy the virus. And to me, the only medicine that can destroy the virus of violence is compassion. And what firm can produce compassion? What lab can find out the way of producing compassion? To me, Sangha is the only place where we can produce uh, compassion uh, methodically. A community that practices looking deeply with awareness, with mindfulness, can generate compassion. And if you put a sick person into the community, he or she will receive the exact uh, kind of medicine in order to heal. Sangha building is a very necessary, uh, uh, is uh, absolutely necessary for our 
for our uh, way out. Sons and daughters of both families are invited to join the Sangha in practicing and manufacturing compassion and un- un- awakening, awakening and compassion. Our society needs desperately the medicine of understanding and compassion. There is no other kind of medicine that can uh, deal with the virus of violence. If you are motivated by the desire to help society out, set up a community, practice, so that you can generate the energy of uh, awakening and compassion. That is the only kind of medicine that can heal our society. Everyone should be a Sangha builder. Everyone should be a practitioner. Whether you are a journalist, a school teacher, a filmmaker, it is possible for you to, to build a Sangha and to practice deep looking, deep listening, in order for understanding to be possible. And when understanding is there, compassion will be born. Digging deeply into the soil of understanding and the water of compassion will flow, flow up, like you dig a, a well. Without digging into the land of understanding, the nectar of compassion cannot be obtained. But we are so busy. We are running after fame, profit, sensual pleasures. We have no time in order to, to, to live, to practice. The Buddha spoke about four kinds of uh, nutrients. The first being edible food. The first thing we have to, to put into practice is mindful eating, mindful drinking. That is uh, very crucial to handle the violence and the anger in us. And teach our children, educate society to do the same. Because we are bringing into us a lot of toxins, a lot of violence by the way we eat by the way we drink. The second category of food spoken by the Buddha is uh, sensory impressions, sense impressions, the object of our six uh, senses, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch, what we think, they are considered to be food. When you pick up a magazine and you are eating, you are consuming, and the article you read might contain a lot of poisons, a lot of toxins. And the food penetrates, come into yourself by the way of uh, the eyes. When you watch the television program, you consume, you eat. That is the second uh, kind of nutriment. And the television program can contain a lot of uh, poison. And we can call these poisons by their true names, craving, 
fear, violence, despair. We allowed our children to intoxicate themselves with what they consume in terms of television, in terms of uh, entertainment. And so many people are getting rich because they can produce and sell these items of uh, entertainment. We are so lonely, we want to forget our suffering. That is why we need to entertain ourselves. And they offer us the kind of entertainment that makes the situation much, much worse every day. There should be an enlightenment, an awakening, not just individual, but collective uh, awakening in order to stop the wave of violence that is invading us. And that is why everyone, school teachers, parents, filmmakers, journalists, everyone has to wake up, everyone has to give a helping hand in waking up our society. We are going in the direction of self-destruction. Our civilization will not last long, except when awakening becomes possible. And the practice of mindfulness is the practice of awakening, because mindfulness helps us to see what is going on. And if we can be aware of what is going on, we will be motivated by the desire to stop and to find a way out. When we listen to a radio program or to a conversation, the consumption is made by our ears. A conversation can be highly toxic. And we are so lonely. We cannot be. We cannot be. We cannot afford to be with ourselves. We are afraid of going home to ourselves, because we risk to encounter the block of pains inside. We risk to encounter the loneliness within. That is why we are looking for things that can help us forget. And conversation is one of the ways to take refuge in forgetfulness. And when you you have that kind of conversation that is full of despair, anger, frustration, you get it, you are eating, you are consuming. So we have to learn how to resist. I don't want to hear these things anymore. I don't want to watch these things. I don't want to read these things. I don't want to hear these things anymore. They are intoxicating me every minute. That is the practice of mindfulness of consumption. The Buddha gave another image, equally drastic. He gave the image of a cow. It has skin disease. To the extent that the cow does not have any skin anymore. And when you bring the cow close to an ancient tree, all the tiny living beings living in the back of the tree will come out and suck the blood from the cows. When you bring the cow close to an ancient wall, 
and then all the animals live living in the ancient world will come out and suck the blood of uh, of the cow. When you bring the cow into the water, and there are tiny living beings in the water will come and suck the blood of the cow also. The Buddha said, if you are not mindful, if you don't know how to protect yourself, you are like a cow without skin, and everything, every sound, every sight, every touch will be attacking you, because you have no means to protect yourself. That is our situation. We have, we are without protection. When we drive through the city, we are exposed to the penetration, to the invasion of the sight and the sound. And the sight and the sound in the city may bring into you a lot of toxins. We don't want to consume, but we consume anyway, because we are, we are helpless. We have no means to, to protect ourselves. So to consume uh, uh, sight, sounds, touch, and even thought, because uh, the object of our mind is thinking. And there are many thoughts that can be highly toxic. When you listen to a Dharma talk, you don't consume these uh, poisons, because uh, the Dharma talk uh, offer you only elements of awakening, compassion. Uh, they touch the good seed within yourself and help the good seed to manifest. And your thinking will be right thinking. Right thinking the second element of the, eight, the noble eightfold path. The first um, element of the path is a right view. The second is the right thinking. So if you allow wrong thinking to go on, you are consuming. So thinking is consuming. And you can consume a lot of despair, a lot of uh, hatred, a lot of discrimination. You know the people in the Middle East, they are exposed to all kinds of, uh, of fear, of, uh, of thinking that carries fear and anger and frustration and despair. They consume a lot of these poisons because the press and the, and the environment around only offer them these kind of toxins. When they came to Plum Village, they don't hear things like that, they don't see things like that, and they stop that kind of negative consumption for two weeks. And that is why it's very important to organize a kind of setting where we will not be invaded by that kind of consumption. The cow cannot protect itself because uh, she has lost her skin. We cannot protect ourselves if we do not practice mindfulness of consumption. And that is why not only we should eat mindfully and drink mindfully, but we, we have to practice um, viewing, looking, listening, thinking mindfully, so that the toxins of craving, of violence, of fear, of despair will not uh, invade us every day. There must be very concrete practice for self-protection, for the protection of the family, for the protection of the community, the protection of 
the people in the nation and what are they doing, the people in the Congress, in the House, in the Senate? Are they aware that we ourselves and our children are being destroyed by the way we consume? Many people are making use of us, making a lot of money by selling us items that continue to destroy us and our children, and yet the law allows them to sell these products. So our elected people should be awakened. I would like to vote only for those who are awakened on the matter of consumption. I would like to look into his life, her life, the life of her family, to see whether that person uh, is protected, is uh, having the good path before I would vote for him or for her. As a, vo- as a voter, you have to be, to be um, um, demanding, exigent, demanding. You don't vote for him just because he has a nice face. You vote for him because he has the insight, the way out. And the way out here can be described in terms of consumption. That is why the fifth mindfulness training is so important. We have to spend all our lives to, to learn and to put into practice the fifth mindfulness training and try to help people around us in a society to learn and practice at the same time. When you study the, the five mindfulness trainings, I beg you to, to study uh, with spiritual care about the fourth and the fifth. The fourth is about uh, deep listening and loving speech, aiming at restoring communication. The fifth is mindful consumption. They are very important uh, kind of practice that can deal with anger and violence uh, in depth at the, at the base. And when you understand these two precepts, the two mindfulness trainings, you understand better in the first mindfulness training, protecting life, the second mindfulness training, social justice, and the third mindfulness training, um, uh, protecting the integrity of couples, families, and and, and individuals from sexual misconduct that have uh, destroyed many, many of our families. The five mindfulness trainings are not something imposed on us by someone else. They are the product of our insight. Because we practice mindfulness, that is why we see the deep causes of our suffering. And since we understand the deep cause of our suffering, the nature of our, uh, of our, uh, of our, uh, uh, the, the nature of our um, suffering, that is why uh, the path reveals itself in form of the five mindfulness trainings. So the five mindfulness trainings is uh, uh, the fruit, the flower, and the fruit of our uh, insight. Looking deeply into the suffering, we see the cause of the suffering. And the five mindfulness tendons is to uproot the cause of suffering. And that is why we should uh, 
learn and practice the trainings in that uh, spirit. It is us who who accept, who uh, adapt, who uh, who realize that the five trainings are the way out, uh, based on our insight and experience. No one has uh, has uh, imposed these trainings to us, and we know that no one can can practice the five trainings perfectly, including the Buddha. I remember when I just became a, a, a novice at the age of 16. I was very moved when I read a gatha that you are supposed to practice uh, uh, the very moment when you uh, when you begin to uh, to uh, uh, to leave your your bed. Well, waking up there is a gatha for you to practice, and then after that you uh, uh, you use your feet and search for your slippers, and during that time there is a gatha for you to practice. It's a wonderful gata. It is like this. From in the early morning to the evening, every living being, living beings have to take care of themselves, protect themselves. If uh, it happens that I crush one of you under my my shoes, I wish that you will be reborn right away into the pure land of the Buddha. Because I know that there is no way that I can I can protect you to 100% because I have to walk. And there are many of you who are so tiny I could not see. So I risk to crush you. That is why I vow that if it happens that I crush one of you under my, my feet, I, 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 I vow, uh, I wish that you will be reborn in the pure land of Buddha right away. This is a practice of uh, non-violence, of protecting life. You know that you have to protect life, but you know that you cannot do it perfectly. The Buddha has to walk like all of us, and he has to crush from time to time a tiny insect under his feet. The Buddha has urged the monks not to travel during the rain season, because during the rain season there are so many living beings come to the street, snails and so on, and we risk killing many of them. That is why he urged the monks not to go anywhere during the three three months of the rainy season. And that is why uh, it is in tradition that monks have to um, have to stay home and practice uh, during the rain retreat for 90 days. It has been 2,500 years that monks and nuns uh, have done that in Plum Village. Uh, we do not practice uh, three month retreat in 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 uh, in summer because in summer there is not much rain, but we practice uh, uh, a winter retreat also ninety days because in winter uh, it rains a lot and many living beings come out on the street. So we should bear in mind that no one among us can practice perfectly the five trainings. But it's very important to know that uh, the five trainings are showing us 
the right way, the right path. What is important is uh, to go in the direction of the five trainings. Suppose you are going uh, somewhere and you, and you are lost in the dark. You don't have any compass. You want to go north. So you have to make use of the northern star in order to be able to know the good direction. You go north because you know, you know that if you go north, you will arrive home. But going north does not mean that you have to arrive to the northern part. You don't need to arrive to the northern part. You don't need to be perfect in the five trainings. But if you know that you are advancing on the direction that already can bring you a lot of happiness, you are going on the path of right consumption, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, restoration, of, uh, of uh, communication. You are going in the path of protecting life, of social justice. So you feel good because you have a path. Those of us who have a path are happy people. Those who suffer are those who do not know where to go. Knowing that you have a path to go, that is only great happiness. I would like to talk to you about the third um, nutriment before we end this Dhamma talk. Therefore, the third kind of nutrient, the, kind, the third kind of food is called uh, volition. Volition. Your deepest desire. That is a kind of food. There's something you want very much to realize in your life, lifetime. That is food. Setana is the word in Sanskrit. Volition, deepest desire. Your desire may be the desire for success. Success in what? In being, in becoming famous, becoming rich, or powerful in having a lot of money in order to buy whatever you want to buy. So we have to practice looking deeply into the, the nature of our deepest desire. Because our desire can bring us to hell or can bring, bring us to the kingdom of God. The Buddha also had his desire. But his desire is to practice and to get uh, liberated. He didn't want to be a king, a politician, because he found out that a king cannot do much to help people. He looked at, at the situation of his father, Siddhartha, and he saw that he, his father was helpless, facing the suffering in the kingdom. So he wanted to, to liberate himself from the afflictions in order to, 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 uh, to become free. And uh, he was convinced that once you are free, you can help many, many more people. 
So in Siddhartha, in the Buddha, there is a deep desire to get awakened, to get the freedom, and to help many people to suffer less and to transform. And if you have such a kind of desire, you will not suffer a lot. You will have a lot of happiness. When you are able to help people to suffer less, when you can help a person to smile, uh, happiness will be yours. But if you run after fame, profits, sex, power, you can suffer very deeply. You can destroy your life. We have organized uh, mindfulness retreats for business people. And many of us who are very rich told us about their life. Very lonely, very painful. They do not have time to live their life. They do not have the time to love and to take care of their beloved one. Very lonely. They don't have many friends. As rich people, they have the impression that anyone that comes close to them has the intention of getting their money. So they are very suspicious. They don't have real friends. And many of us still continue to believe that happiness lies in the fact that we have a lot of power, a lot of uh, wealth, a lot of fame. Many healthy, uh, many wealthy people Many powerful people commit suicide because they suffer so deeply. The Buddha offered this example. There's a young man, very healthy. He loves life. He loves to be alive. But he was abducted by two uh, strong persons. And they force him, they carry him to a To, um, to a place where is uh, uh, um, a lot of burning uh, charcoal, a pit of uh, burning charcoal. And the two men wanted to throw that young man into the pit of uh, glowing amber. The person doesn't want that, doesn't want to die, doesn't want to be thrown into the pit of glowing amber in order to die. But the two men still want to drag him into that place and throw him into it. And finally he had to be thrown into uh, the fire and die. And who are the two men? The desire. The desire is a very strong energy. Many of us, because of our desire, have to go in the direction of uh, suffering, despair. And that is why it's very important to look into the nature of our desire, deepest desire, to see whether they are really the forces that are forcing us, dragging us into the pit of glowing um, amber. The pit of glowing amber symbolizes hell, suffering, loneliness, despair. But if you realize that your deepest desire is to live simply, to have a lot of time in order to take care of yourself, to take care of your beloved one, and to help change society, and then the desire is very 
wholesome. It's very wonderful. And if you are inhibited by such a desire, and then the kind, the third kind of food is good. It's very sane. So the Buddha advised us to look deeply into the nature of our deepest desire to see whether it is leading us to the direction of suffering of hell or it is leading us to the direction of freedom and true happiness. And there is another uh, kind of uh, food, the fourth kind of nutriment that maybe we have a chance to talk about uh, tomorrow.